you're listening to Thelonious Monk's Rhythm and Ing off this week's guest, Clarence Penn's album, Monk, The Lost Files. Based out of New York, drummer Clarence Penn is one of the most in-demand drummers in the world. The list of legends he has played with include Betty Carter, Michael Brecker, Wynton Marcellus, Ellis Marcellus, Branford Marcellus, Christian McBride, Bob James, and Stanley Clark. We sat down to talk amidst a break from his master's degree comprehensive exams from Rutgers, where he's currently pursuing a master's in music. Clarence is a creative force, not only on the drums, but in the kitchen. He loves to cook for his wife and two kids and lives a very creative life. During our conversation, we talk about the value of historical referencing, deeply digesting transcriptions, what it was like to tour with Michael Brecker, and how he approaches teaching. Sit back and enjoy one of the most playful musicians on the program to date, drummer Clarence Penn. Hi, welcome to The Playful Musician. I'm your host, Steve Davidson. Each week, I sit down with musicians from all different paths, from composers to conductors, percussionists to piccolo players, to tease out their strategies, practice habits, tips, tools, tricks, routines, and how they keep all of it playful. The Playful Musician is an intimate look into the lives of each musician, how they got to where they are, what motivates and inspires them, and what playing music means to them. If you'd like to learn more about the guests or just more about being playful, head on over to the website, theplayfulmusician.com. There you can find show notes, links to all references mentioned in the show, and all kinds of resources related to music. Thank you for listening, and please subscribe to The Playful Musician on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Overcast, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And while you're at it, why not leave a review as well? Thanks again, and without further ado, here is this week's episode. Clarence, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for being here. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Yeah. It gives me something to do during this uh, <laughs> crazy time. Down period. Mm-hmm. No, no. Actually, I, I have a lot to do. And... Um, Happy birthday early. It's coming up in Tuesday. Is that right? Yes. I don't want to say unfortunately, <laughs> but like, you know, it's, I don't know how I feel about birthdays yet. Yeah. <laughs> After these many years, I still don't know. My kids are happy. They're excited. And my wife is uh, excited for, yeah. you know, celebrating a birthday. It's, sure. it's, it's odd because just a year ago, you right. know, right. We, we had my birthday and, um, uh, so my wife is uh, half French, half Japanese. So we love uh, we a lot of Japanese food. So we went to our favorite sushi restaurant last year. Mm. It was great, not knowing that we were going to be locked down or whatever. So we did that, and then ten days later, that's when everything shut down. So that was basically the last celebrate celebrated birthday in the house that we did outside of the house. You know what I mean? So, yeah, yeah, it's crazy that it's been a year already, but you know. Your but. kids, yeah, your kids are super cute. I saw your little cooking video oh. <laughs> with Cherokee and how do you pronounce your son's name? Solato. Solato. 
Yep, solata. Yeah. It means sky in Japanese. Yep, solata. Oh, beautiful yeah. children, and you can tell you're a really good father. Like that was really sweet. <laughs> I try my best, man. They keep me on my toes. I tell you, it's yeah, a, it's a full time job. Yeah, <laughs> as we all know, you know, yeah. you know, learning something every single day. You know, yeah. just seeing these uh, personalities develop. Hmm. You know, very quickly, and they're becoming. <laughs> you know, their own people, you know, their thoughts and their ways of doing things and not listening to the parents. Like, I want to do it this way, you know. It's right. Like, you know, it's quite different than when you and I were small. Oh, because yeah. Because we, I think the way we came up, at least the way I came up with, um, you know, the parents said this and that's kind of what we did. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we didn't necessarily question all of that kind of stuff. So Not, a, not in my house. <laughs> There were dire consequences. Exactly, exactly. So, you know. are they are they musical? Those two, you know, um, they used to take piano, and the teacher was saying that they were, you know, some of her best students, hmm. but they never practiced. And 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 the the teacher one day came to me and said, "Wow, I don't know what you're doing with them rhythmically, but their their time is so good. You're doing a good job. Keep it up." And I'm like. I didn't do anything. My kids would not let me show them anything. My wife doesn't play. Mm -hmm. And they are more open to let her tell her about, you know, tell them about the notes to play on the piano and like a half note and all that kind of stuff. It's, you know, I guess because, I don't know, they felt intimidated if it comes mm -hmm. from me. But for me, it was kind of kind of like sad in a way. I was like, man, I'm the musician. You guys don't want me to help. And it's like, no, no, no. You know, that kind of yeah. thing. But, um, yeah, I mean, they, they, they were really, you know, they had a great sense of time and, 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 and harmony and things like that. It just wasn't their passion. My son is now into, um, <laughs> drawing. He's a very good artist. Sweet. He takes dance. So mm -hmm. he's into dance. Um, my daughter is more, I think she's the, the, like between the two, she's more naturally talented. Mm. You know, like like piano lessons, like the day before, she's like going through lessons, she's like, okay, I got it. And then I'm like, wait, you didn't practice all week. And then she get in her lesson and just kind of like ace it, you know? So she mm. really has a, a lot of natural talent. Um, but right now I think she's into being a teenager, which is TikTok, Snapchat, YouTube, mm. and, and nails, finger, <laughs> doing nails. <laughs> so, yeah. That's know. awesome. Yeah, it's, um, you know, I, I, at some point, I think during the, during the lockdown, I, I just gave, I, I didn't give up, but I was just like, they're going to do what they're going to do. Yeah. You know, and mm -hmm. my wife was like, she's like, oh, you should make them, you know, practice to uh, come down and do drums and like, but I don't, you know, I was never forced to do what I do as far sure. as, you know, playing drums and, and being a musician. I did it because I wanted to. And so with them, yeah. I wanted them or I want them to gravitate toward it naturally. To you want know? it themselves. So, you know, yeah. some other, some I talked to some other musicians, um, and they said that some of the kids gravitated toward it naturally, and then some of the kids didn't, but the parents made them do it, you know. I think, I do think piano is um, a very good foundation, even if you if you don't become a musician, just, just yeah. being able to play piano and, and access that part of the brain. Um, you know that that goes along with playing piano. I think that would be a good thing. You yeah. Know, 
Did so, you study piano before you went to college? or um, Not before I went to college, but uh, last year of high school, I went to Interlochen Arts Academy, and it was it was quite a, a, a change for me being in, in Detroit Public School first. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I got to Interlochen, it was like, it was... It was great, but it was really intense because everybody, in my opinion, they were like super talented. Like I had never been in, in an environment where everybody was serious about what they did. Dance mm. majors, percussion, you know, brass, violin, like and everybody was practicing. It was just like so it was very inspiring for me to be in that type of situation. Um, but being there, my my percussion teacher um, told me that I had to study piano and and basically, I it was like sink or swim. I had to get it together. Twelfth mm. grade, and, but from twelfth grade, I had it almost you know every year in college. Yeah. Um, so I wouldn't say I'm a pianist, but all my all my writing is done at the piano. So, mm-hmm. and by me being in in class, uh, you know, this semester twice a week, I have to play piano in my improv class. So, right. Where yeah. can I ask where you're getting your masters at? Um, Rutgers. Rutgers. Rutgers at New, the New Brunswick campus. So okay. um, two years ago, almost two years ago, I got, um, I, I was awarded the fellowship. They have a Ralph Bunch fellowship. Um, and I, I'd say maybe three years ago, my wife and I were thinking, you know, just about the future. And yeah. and I noticed, well, I, I had been noticing for a while how the landscape of touring had been changing since the 90s. Um, and so like know, less, are, less gigs or what yeah, do you mean less, by that? Less, less gigs, um, not as financially rewarding as it was not saying that we were ever <laughs> making a lot of money, <laughs> Yeah, but, um, it had gone down or, or it was in a place where they were paying the same. Um, right. And so like when you, when I started to look at it, and when I talk to musicians today, at least my age, you know, even if we say I worked at McDonald's in, in the 90s, I mean, just the cost of living increase I would have gotten between yeah. 90 and now. But like, so if you, if you look at the music landscape in jazz, I can speak about that. Um, you know, if I'm making X amount in 96 and then it's 2017 and I'm making the same as I was in 96, there's some, there's a, you know, there's an imbalance there. Yeah. And so, you know, and, and, and some of the younger, the younger musicians, you know, they're happy to have a gig and they're happy to be working. Um, and they're happy to have that, that money come in. But like, you know, they don't know of what it used to, what it, what it used to play, pay. And then some of them don't even care. They just really want to, you know, I don't want to say sell their soul, but they, they just want to be out there. So if they're, you know, they'll do whatever it takes, you know. But for me, I have a family to take care of and I have a certain way I, I'd like to live my life and and have certain things. So, you know, financially, I need it, need yeah. it more. So um, I had before that I had, you know, taught at uh, Banff in Canada uh, under Dave Douglas Mm-hmm. I, I started out only doing one summer or one spring. And were you teaching and drums there or jazz? I was teaching, um, it was uh, ensembles. Okay. Ensembles. And I think I did, you know, some drum lessons, but mas- mainly it was improvisation. 
Um, and so Dave asked me to do it. I had never done it. So I was super scared, super afraid. And, and so uh, myself, James Genius, his band at the time, Chris Potter, Donnie McCaslin, we all went up to Banff. We did a, a week and I enjoyed it. I, man, it was good. And, and Dave would come around and he saw me teaching and he was like, man, you know, you're a natural. I was like, what are you talking about, man? I mean, I'm just winging it. And right. he's like, no, the way, you know, where, the way you talk to students and like your, your approach and everything. I'd like to have you come back next year. So I was like the only one in the band that he had come back next year. And then that turned into nine years later of me wow. coming every every summer. But during that nine years, I, um, you know, I, I realized how important teachers were, but teachers of a certain you know, aesthetic. Since I've, I had toured already and I've been around the world, like, like I can, I felt like, I could give them real experience from from me doing it, you know, as opposed to and not to belittle anyone that has gone to to school and they're only book smart. But like, you know, institutional um, education. Exactly. You know, so um, when I, you know, and my wife noticed how natural it was for me to to teach. So we both thought, well, maybe I should go back and get my master's. But at the same time. You know, I we didn't have forty thousand dollars a year to take out of our operating budget right. for me to go to for school. For tuition, yeah, right. You know, um, so I'm talking to a friend of mine, uh, Yosvani Terry. I don't know if you know him. He's a he teaches at Harvard. He's okay. A, yeah, okay. so he's a he's the he's teaching. Um, if I'm not mistaken, is Cuban uh, studies, and he runs the big band there. So I was talking to him and he said, well, there is this fellowship at Rutgers. You should inquire about it. I had no idea. So mm-hmm. you know, did some research and, and found out that I, I knew one of I knew the guy who runs the department. And I called him. And I was like, man, I'm thinking of coming back to school. What do you think about that? And he was just like, wait, are you serious? You <laughs> want to come back to school? And I was <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, I think. And he was like, man, I mean you'd be a great candidate for this fellowship. But Clarence, if you if you are serious, I'll throw your name in it. But you can't tell me you're gonna go and then when it comes time, you know, you come in and tell me, oh, I have this tour, I can't do it, or or right. you accept the fellowship and then every other week you're asking, oh, I need time off because I gotta go on this tour. So it was, it, for me, it was a little scary to mm. commit that far in advance and not knowing, you know. Um, but, you know, my wife and I talked and, and we said, OK, let's just go for it and you know, right. see what happens. And then this happened. Right. So, Great timing. Man, it really it really worked out. I mean, like, where can you get, you know, uh, a master's degree from a university like that online? At home, right? <laughs> you know, it's like it's just not. It's, it's just nuts. it doesn't happen. You know, they're online universities, but like yeah. you know, yeah. those schools they they want you to come there. So yeah, um, you know, during this the COVID thing, it really worked out for me because I was driving 250 miles a week to get to record because I'm in Brooklyn, that's in that's in Jersey, and and during the mornings it would be. And I'm sorry, I'm being long winded. No, no, this is great. <laughs> I love it. Um, so during the morning. You know, it's uh, 
it was a pleasant drive. It's 40, 40 minutes in the morning, you know. Mm. Just, I get a chance to, I got my audio books going. I got, you know, I'm just like in my space. And, it, it, you know, it's like a new frontier for me. It's a, it's a new, new, new. Commuting. Uh, yeah, commuting, you know, in the morning. But coming home. Oh. It's like being in jail. It's it was it was the worst, it, and I had to deal with that traffic from Jersey to New York, oh, wow. three times a week. And it would you know, so it took me forty minutes in the morning, but it took me two hours plus to get home. Damn. You know? Yeah. So when COVID happened and they said everything's going online, I was just like, well, actually, <laughs> that's actually a good thing for me. So, you know. I've been, uh, yeah, I've been loving that part. You know, you just yeah. get up. I mean, my kids are in school, and so I'm in school, and so my wife gets up, and everybody's in school. So everybody has their little, <laughs> they have something to do every day. So, yeah, yeah. it's been kind of cool. So yeah. you just took your comprehensive exams? I did. Uh, yeah. I took the second part um, Friday. Are those so, writ- written or? Wh- yeah. 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 I wish it was, like, <laughs> not written. <laughs> But it was, yeah, it's... Uh, Those it are intense. Quite, yeah, it's, a, it's a, a lot of information written. And it, you know, they break it down uh, into two parts. So you do, and it's and it split a week apart. So, you know, it takes four to five hours one week and then four to five hours one the, the next week. And, um, you know, for a 50-year-old, it's a, it's a lot of information to, I, to, like, you know, yeah. to deal with, you know. I, I would say... It's not for the faint of heart for somebody yeah. like us, you know. Well, I—I I mean, I did it when I was in my late twenties. I can't, and it was intense then. I can't imagine. Uh, so you have your doctorate. I have my master's. Oh my, yeah, I'm sorry, master's. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I. Uh, it was so intense. The the um, the the comprehensive exams that I was like, I'm done. I don't want to go get my doctorate. I know. I, I didn't you. I didn't want to be at the mercy I didn't want my future to be at the mercy of a panel of people who at who at that time I mean higher education's changed a lot, I like to believe now. But then there was a lot of ego and a lot of like intimidation from faculty to students and mm-hmm. like people had stuff to prove in those situations and it was ner- it was super nerve wracking and I was like I don't the doctorate was like another level. I'm like, I'm done. I've got enough education. I just need to like mm-hmm. go live my life. But um, no, I thought about that. You know, um, also, um, you know, I mean, just just a little bit of maybe continuing to get my my doctorate. But um, I will say, my experience that ego thing is still there with the with the teachers. Um, you know, yeah. there is a. I don't. Know, I feel like it's a. I don't want anybody to take us the wrong way, but like. They they all buy into that. You paying into the system too. Also, you know what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you got another four years on top of the two years that I've just done, and for what? Like, really, <laughs> I think it comes down to. Right. You have to do research and you have to write a big paper. It just, yeah. you know, in some of these, some of these, uh, what's the dissertation? Some of these that I, that I read. Oh my gosh. I mean, a lot of, some, some of it's fluff. I'm like, I'm sorry, man. Really? Like this is, you know, like you basically make up, not make up, but you, yeah, yeah, this is, <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you come up with a, a subject and you write on it. But like, you know, some of these guys are like, wow. Right. <laughs> 
<laughs> right. So then the the goal is to get like a teaching gig from the or like yeah. one that we because a lot of them require masters. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So that that's the, that's the end goal. The end goal is. Um, yeah, unfortunately, being here in America with insurance, health insurance being what it is for people, you know, yeah. in general, and especially getting older. So, you know, I yeah. want to be in a situation where that that's taken care of. I want to be in a situation where I do have somewhat a pension. Um, I want to be in a situation where, you know, my, my kids can go to university, mm-hmm. you know, because... Um, to foot the bill, you know, being a jazz musician, you know, or for anybody, I mean, yeah. sixty, seventy thousand dollars a year, fifty, it's, yeah, it's, it's a, it's, it's a lot, you yeah. know. And I have two kids, and so, you know, um, so for me, the the end goal is to be in a situation where I can, you know, soften that, that, yeah. that you know, yeah. some some. Here's a recording Clarence did recently with saxophonist Paul Jones. This is Let's Get Tropical. of an influence do you think Ellis Marcellus was on your teaching style? Well, that's a good question. Um, Because he was at VCU, right? That's where... He was at VCU. um, I went there in 87, so he was there for three or four years. I had two years with him while I was there because um, the second year that I was there, New Orleans decided that he was a treasure. And so they created <laughs> a position for him to come back, mm. you know, at, yeah. um, at, at the, at the school. So of course they went, they went back, but, um, my early teaching style was probably heavily influenced by him. My teaching style now, um, has evolved somewhat um, actually in the last couple of years of seeing how teachers teach at records there's a, it's it's a completely different landscape mm. of how you can approach teaching students these days um, but Ellis was um, he came from the school of if you really want to do this then you have, this is what you have to do there's no there's no fluff I'm not gonna mince my words and letting you know what you need to do and what you're not doing. You know, like he didn't baby me at all. If I sucked, 
on this concert, he wouldn't say you completely sucked, but he'd say, I think you need to listen to the recording or, right. you know, your point, he, he would put these, these, these little, little seeds out there and, 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 you know, you think everything is great and you're like, wait, what did he say? Did he just, <laughs> okay. And then, you know, I yeah. would have to go back. So, yeah. um, you know, uh, and that's what Dave Douglas, I think he, he liked that aspect from me that I was a more hard or straightforward teacher. I wasn't a hard teacher, but I'm, you know, I've, 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 I've always believed in telling the truth, mm-hmm. even if it's, I guess it's my, my truth, but like, and being honest with the kids. Yeah. I, I, I really feel that, that, um, you know, stroking someone's ego doesn't necessarily always do yeah. what it would, you know, uh, the job. So, um, yeah, my teaching at, at Banff, those early years, I was definitely more, you know, straightforward and right on the students, you know. And I I always thought that was great. I had teachers, I had students come back um, years later. I would see them in New York or they would send me emails and say, thank you for that. I did have some students that didn't say anything that was because they didn't they didn't enjoy that that way of, uh, sure. of, of being taught. But, you know. And when I got to to Rutgers and and became a student again, <laughs> it re- I really had to take two or three steps back the way mm-hmm. that the way that the, you know the, the dynamic between teacher and student was. So it was, you know, for not saying is you know it's bad or good or whatever, but yeah. it's definitely a lot different than than the way Ellis and Winton taught me growing up. Winton was was my mentor. Um, or I, I made him my mentor, <laughs> but he was my mentor from mm. from tenth grade yeah. onwards, you know. And um, yeah, went and from day one. I played for him, and and he he told me it just it it wasn't good. And and mm. my friends, you know, I, I I felt I was you know I was depressed, or I you know I was in tenth grade. And I had my friends, they were just like, man, forget him. You don't need him, man. He, he, man, you, he didn't know what he's talking about, man. Don't worry about that, whatever. But I, I felt like this guy knew something and that he, you know, he told me the truth, first of all, because, you know, when you're young, you want everybody to tell you you're good, right? You play and it's <laughs> just course. like, oh, man, you're, you're good, you know. But, um, yeah, he was just like, you know, he, he wasn't overly harsh, but he was just like, you know, you play like you haven't studied any of the tradition or like you haven't studied any of the master drummers or you don't know any of the language of, of jazz. And, and I was like, wow, okay, well show me, tell me what to do. And he was really happy with writing down what he thought I should do. And I was like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. So he gave you and, a list of recordings, right? Yeah. To check out. Yeah. Do you, do you remember what, what those recordings were? Any of them? Um, yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, well, I know it was. I know the the, the people. I remember it was Sonny Rollins, the um, saxophone colossus with Max Roach, um, and incidentally, I had to transcribe all the drum solos on on that record. Um, mm-hmm. Anything that Bird played, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, Coltrane, uh, Sidney Bechet, mm. you know, Duke Basie, and all of that. And I didn't know that stuff really. Yeah. You know, I was listening to being from Detroit. I listened to the rat, the jazz radio station, but the jazz radio station was playing 
you know, fusion, you know, yeah. um, what are they called? Smooth jazz. Smooth jazz. Yeah. yeah. And, and if you're a kid, if you don't know it's smooth jazz and they're telling you that it's jazz, you think it's jazz, right? You don't, you know, this yep. is welcome to Detroit's jazz radio station and they play Yellow Jackets in it, which is great, you know, great yeah. music. Yeah, yeah. Um, but like, I'm listening to that. I'm like, okay, that's jazz. I like jazz, you know, it was that kind of thing. Right. So, you know, so, um, yeah. I wonder though, I, I mean, this is a question I have and I've talked to a few of my, my mentors about is like, and and I, I I believe in historical reference. I believe in going back and listening. But at the same time, like, what if a student, like, what if a student isn't into that? What if, I mean, I can't imagine. But if if you had a student who was like, yeah, Elvin's not for me, um, Max Roach isn't for me, you know, I don't really, you know, Art Blakey, I, I don't really resonate with that music. What mm-hmm. I resonate with is. Uh, the more modern stuff and and if they're studying the modern players aren't they by inference ingesting the past what what do you think about that um i mean like if I someone think, studies you aren't they aren't they kind of getting the lineage a little bit i don't know the, yeah they're getting the, the yeah a little bit but you're jumping in in the middle of the you know, and and the way that I learned, especially from Ellis, is like you go back as far as you can. You know, you mm-hmm. go back as far as you can. Like you, but you do research, so you have to go back. Not let me tell you where how far to go back. You go back as far as you can go. So you keep digging and you keep going. Sure. Um, but, but, um, I think as a teacher these days, what needs to happen is when you come across a student that that has that and that's a valid um, uh, position to be in but as a teacher you have to be able to tie that these two things together even say if you even if it's a drummer for nirvana say the drummer for uh you know who whoever like you being able to tie styles together and be able to see that 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 common thread so that student respects where that is coming from and 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 presenting it in a way that you know you enjoy you know john john whatever the way he plays Mm -hmm. but you know if you want to be as good as he or she you know go back and we dissect what say if max roach did or art blakey did or whoever and also taking that and modernizing it Mm -hmm. you know like what i do what i yeah, what I do with my students now is like, you know, we'll transcribe a solo and they don't know what to do with this solo. They'll do it and they're just like, okay, I've done it. And it's just like boring. I, you know, on to the next. I, I'm just transcribing because you told me to transcribe. Right. I'm like, Are no. they writing it out? Like actually writing it out? I make them. Yeah, I do. I, I, I believe that's the best way uh, to trans. Well, for, for me, sure. the way that I teach, I feel that it's the best way because once it's documented, then you can take you can really analyze it. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like if you if you have it committed to memory, unless you have a photographic memory, I don't, we can't go to the, the third beat of bar 17 to the fourth beat of bar 23 yeah. and analyze what, how many, you know, five beat phrases or seven beat phrases or yep. whatever that is. 
you know, so if it's written down, we can go through and we can really extract the language, mm-hmm. the vocab- vocabulary that that person used. Right. You know, and we take that. And what I do is I make the students. Now, we have this that we learned from Max Roach. OK, if we we're playing a regular straight ahead jazz thing, it's going to go like this. But I have them take that same idea. Now, let's put it over. Let's put it over Herbie Hancock tune or let's put it over. You know, whatever is out now, a Robert Glasper tune or who, you know, whatever Christian you're Scott into. or whatever. Christian Scott. Yeah. You know, we bring it to to what's happening now. Yeah. And I make them make that work because a lot of times <laughs> the students, they want you to feed them. They especially with the drums. Oh, can you show me how that? No, no, no. You know, <laughs> you want me to because I can do it and then you're just going to copy me. I want you. I, you yeah. know, you need to be thinking i need you to apply you know your critical thinking to whatever we're taking moving it forward you know yeah that's so, brilliant you know that's where I, that's how i feel with um you know with with transcribing and going going back you know right i mean like because it's 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 i think it's easier or it's a it's very easy cop out to be like you know I'm not going to check out what Papa Joe did or, or Baby Dots did. And, 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 and I just want to go into Jeff Watts or I want to go into, I don't know, whoever the, the latest young person is. Right. You know, but it's just like I, I, I think, you know, if you're a doctor, I don't think you can just come in in the middle and say, <laughs> I just want to start, to, you know, I just want to check out what, you know, this guy did. Right. Right. You have to go back, yeah. right? It's it's that's a great point. So I that's what I feel that yeah. you know it's it's is <laughs> closely related. Yeah. <laughs> when when they transcribe, do you have them write it out right from the start, or do they? What's the process that you guide them through in transcribing? Well, some people, um, you know, minds work differently. The way that I do it is, I write it out as I'm learning the phrase mm-hmm. um but some people uh i was talking to a saxophonist the other day and he says he likes to memorize it or because he can hear whatever you know yeah the person is playing he likes to hear it hear it hear it hear it and then write it out that way you know mm-hmm. for me i feel like if i'm writing it out phrase by phrase i'm really ingesting the vocabulary more because it's, you know, um, back in the day when I had tapes, I was rewinding, <laughs> rewinding, running and hearing that, that, that phrase over and over. And, and, and something that Alan Dawson taught me years ago was that each rudiment has a sound, a particular sound. And, and as a, as a professional drummer, you should be able to hear that sound instantly if you've practiced enough of your rudiments right. or skills or whatever it is. Um, so, as I'm transcribing, as soon as I'm hearing it, I'll listen to this, you know, like for me, say I'm going to approach doing a solo in in the next couple of weeks or whatever. I'll try to listen to that without writing it down as I'm driving in cars, I'm cooking, as I'm doing just to just to get absorb that, it, yeah. absorb it. Exactly. And then when it comes down for me to to sit down, you know, and I transcribe away from the drum set because I feel like the drum set or I feel like your instrument sometimes can get in the way. You know, mm, yeah. Um, so I feel like if you're transcribing away from your instrument, you're hopefully visualizing, you know, the instrument 
as you're transcribing. You know, if it's if it's coming from the high tom to the low tom, from low or low to high, or whatever the 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 shape is, and hopefully you can start seeing shapes. I think um, when I first uh, started approaching it this way, my drum students never never um, thought about the shapes of of what drummer's playing. It's just like, oh, he's playing the snare. Is this this? I'm like, no. Like, what's the big picture? Right. It, it took them. All, it took some of them a long time before they could see that because they never approached it that way. You know what I'm saying? Like, say if a, if a drummer is playing on the snare, he goes to the high tom, he goes back to the snare to the floor tom, back to the snare to the cymbal. So I I don't want them to just see that as four separate parts. I want that to them to see that as 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 an art piece. It it mm. goes. It's an L, and then it goes up from the cymbal. So okay, that to me that's it's like drawing it's like mm. hieroglyphs it's like there's a shape yeah. and if you can approach applying shapes with the vocabulary that you've gotten i think that you can really you know make <laughs> make a name for yourself or make you know yeah uh you know strides definitely right that's awesome that's kind of weird but like i mean that no, i know yeah. i i for the longest time would just i was taught I think we do things the way we're first taught, and I was first taught to just learn by ear and not write out. And then only recently, one of my students kind of blew my mind about it. He's like, yeah, but it's faster to write it out. Like, I, I, can, get, I can get to the work of the, the transcription faster if I write it out, because then I'm seeing it. And it never dawned on me. I was like, yeah, yeah you're right. It is faster. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's, it's, yeah, it's, I mean, the thing that once I get out of, when I finish this, this master's, what I'd like to do, um, is I'd like to just take a written solo that I, that I've transcribed and, and just retranscribe it, but backwards playing just, you know, and play that. And then in, in YouTube, just video myself playing the solo for forward and then playing the exact ideas backwards just to, so you can hear how that, how that sounds. And just to see that, like, I'm still using the vocabulary, but if it's completely displaced, yeah. it's a whole new vocabulary, you know, which I think is completely valid. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, so you're using, you know, you, and it's not like, someone's telling you play this or do this it's like <laughs> you know you're teaching yourself right you know because you don't need, or you don't even have to start at, at the bottom you can you can start in the middle and and play the solo you know every you know say like every fourth line becomes a first line and you know it's it's like you can take a solo i feel like you can have a solo a transcribed solo and you can study that solo for months yeah. Like and we're talking about really being really. able to play it, right? Yeah, yeah. Really, really going inside because there's so much information. Because I think we're in a time that with young people, um, especially with the MP3s, they they amass so much information. Right? They just see yeah, I remember being at Banff and a guy told me he was just like, Clarence, man, any record you want, I got it. I'm like, what do you mean? He's just like, Man, I got gigabytes of gigabytes in my room. Just let me know what you want. And I was just like what on earth are you going to do with all of this music? Because when I was young, <laughs> we studied one or two or three records right, exactly. that we played all the time, right? Yeah. And they, but we really learned that record, right? We even, we knew, you know, 
at three minutes and 23 seconds into train solo, your, your record would scratch. So, you know, you, you had to, you know, so it, you know, it's just like you absorb. So it's no way you can absorb gigabytes of, of information. I mean, you know, I, I can't. Not anyway, very well, so, anyway. You know, so you need, to, you need to break it down. So, yeah. yeah. What was your time at University of Miami like? Um, you were only there yeah. a short time, right? I was there, yeah. I was there about a year. Um, I enjoyed Miami because I was, I was into, well, side note, I love fishing, right? Oh, cool. <laughs> so, and so Florida has great fishing. So, you know, mm-hmm. um, I had befriended a, a guy that lived on my floor. Um, he was from like, I don't know, Tennessee or something like that. He was really like a country guy, but he loved fishing. So, you know, we'd fish all the time. We could even fish outside the dorm room because Miami, I don't know if you know Miami, it's a beautiful campus, mm. but they have a like a lake, like a, let's say a pond mm-hmm. in the middle of the of the campus, but that it's, it's fed by an outside source. So huge fish would come in. So we, you know, we'd awesome. be fishing there. So, so I did a lot of fishing there. Um, I did, I was in a practice room a lot when I was at Miami. Um, yeah. I, you know, when I was at Miami and it was something that I learned later, like, I don't feel like I practiced a lot because, but I played a lot, but at the time I thought it was practicing. <laughs> I'd be in the practice room five hours, but you know, like when you really go back and like analyze, it's just like, was I practicing the way that yeah. I look at practicing now is like working on stuff that you can't play exactly and like you know i don't know anybody that can spend six hours or five hours really working on something that they can't play in that without going crazy it's just like it's just <laughs> no, it's hard it man, right hard. It's, it's just defeating you're just like oh i suck it's just like you know <laughs> but five hours you're in the room you're having fun you're like you know yep. you're doing stuff maybe 15 minutes you work on something that you can't play but then soon soon enough that turns into you having fun again yeah so i i spend a lot of time in the practice room while I was at Miami. Um, Were you in the big band? I was not in the big band because Miami was set up. I think it was correct at the time, but the, the way Miami was set up is uh, it was a very hierarchical kind of, you know, if you were a freshman, you didn't yeah. have any ensembles. You wouldn't have any big, you know, you couldn't get in big band, you know, yeah. unless you came through and you were just like, you know, completely blowing everybody away right. but um so when i was at miami but i didn't um i didn't have to do they had a swing class so for people who didn't understand jazz they made everybody was just like a workshop everybody had to like you know work on the the the, the foundation of jazz i placed out of that so i did have an ensemble mm. um so i had a, a small group that i that i was in and um and even that um people were surprised it was like man freshman you got an ensemble it's like yeah I, yeah i guess yeah and it, i think it was me and another drummer um got an ensemble and we were able you know we we did that um but the thing at miami that i didn't like i think most was that that you know if you were a, a freshman or undergrad student that basically they didn't really respect you this mm. not that they have to respect you but like you really felt like you were nothing at least when i was there yeah. i hope the i hope the atmosphere has changed now I, and i imagine that it has but when i was there mm. man freshman you really didn't have a voice at all but there were some upperclassmen that were nice enough 
And I don't know if they were, it was nice enough, but I, I guess I played well enough that they would hire me to play these gigs in, in um, you know, what was that, like Coconut Grove, I think it was mm -hmm. there. And, you know, these places outside of school. So, you know, while I was at Miami, I was doing some gigs outside of, outside of school with, you know, older musicians. So, you know, yeah, I definitely enjoyed that. Um, but, yeah, that the environment was a little, you know, disheartening. And I think. Also, you know, I mentioned before that Winton was my mentor. When I was at Miami, they like straight ahead jazz coming from where Winton was coming from was not the big thing at Miami. Right. I, I probably still not. You know, like Miami was more into um, they were into like commercial kind yeah. of. Well, Jocko was there like a long Jocko, time ago. Yeah, Jocko. Had, yeah. You know, and uh, so, you know, they're coming from that. And I so. 18 years old, I wasn't interested in that style of music. I felt, you know, I felt like I wanted to learn something that I couldn't play. I went to, I figured I'd come to Miami because they were a great jazz school and a classical school because I was into playing timpani also. Oh, awesome. Um, so that's why I chose Miami. And, um, you know, when I got down there, it wasn't that, I didn't feel like that was like at the forefront. So. Yeah, you know, I that's and I exp expressed that to Winton, and Winton was the one who told me to go to uh, VCU to study with his father. Right. You know. Yeah. And to be honest, I didn't even know. Man, I had never heard of VCU. I went to Interlochen, and Interlochen, like, um, you know, the all the all the universities that the students talked about were the top universities and VCU wasn't on that list right you know not for for whatever sure. that means so i had never heard of VCU never you know richmond virginia was not it was the overlands it was the eastmans it was the juilliards check out clarence's solo with bassist john patatucci's trio Tell me about your first gig with Ellis. Like, how did how did that how did that go? Because he, you um, said that he invited you. You were a student there, and he invited you to play with his group. Mm -hmm. What was that first gig like? Do you remember? Um, I mean, for me, it was. I remember I was in the, I was in his practice. Like he had a he had an office, 
And at VCU, they didn't have drum rooms to practice. Um, and I told Ellis that I didn't have a place to practice. This is early on. And he was just like, man, you can practice in my office. Just set up the drums. I'll give you a key and practice there. So I set the drums up and I was practicing. I was putting a lot of time in. And uh, I guess he had, you know, noticed and was checking it out, checking me out. And, and probably about six or so months of me being at VCU, he came. He's like, look, man, I got this gig. And, you know, I'd like to know if you want to you wanna make this gig. I think we were playing in like North Carolina or something like that. Mm. And I was like, of course, you know. Um, and uh, so, you know, he, he said, okay, so we're going to leave this day or whatever. And I was just thinking, man, I've made it. This is, you know, this is what I wanted to do. Part of the Marcellus family too. I was yeah. just like, man, they're royalty. I'm like, you know, I'm on my way. And um, so we're flying to the gig and Ellis pulls out the book. Of the the Bach chorales, three hundred seventy Bach chorales, which I didn't know, I didn't even, I, I didn't know about this book, and so I'm sitting on the plane, kind of like got my headphones down and like checking out music, and he taps me, and I'm like, and I look up, and he's like, he gives me his book, and I'm like, what's that? He's like, get to, to get to analyzing this, and I was like, what do you mean? He's just like, man, what did you think you were gonna just be hanging out on the road, you know, with me out here? And I was just like, well, yeah, kinda, <laughs> you know, but he was just like. Yeah, so look, man, I need you to analyze, you know, number 23, number 27, and number 30 or whatever. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, and, and, and get back to me. And I was like, wow. So this is kind of what it's going to be like. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I started analyzing. We get to the hotel. We do a sound check or whatever. Um, and I remember playing, like, the bass player was Delbert Felix, who I, I had seen play with Branford Marcellus when I was at University of Miami. So, you know, I just, I was just like, I just felt, I was just like blown away. It was that a I'm trio? Playing. Yeah, it was trio. Okay. Most of the time we played the gigs uh, with Ellis, they were trio. Yeah. Most of the time. Um, so Delbert, Delbert was on bass and Ellis was on piano and, you know, we played and, and uh, man, it was great. But after the gig, Ellis says, so how did you feel? And I'm like. Man, I thought it was cool. You know, I was just you know trying to trying to swing or whatever. And he's just uh, he said, "And how was your how, how was the tempos?" And I was like, "I think the tempos were pretty good." He says, "Okay, so I recorded the gig. I'm gonna let you check it out on the on the way home." You know, I was mm -hmm. like, "Okay, cool." So next day happens, I get on the plane. He gives me the headphones. I'm listening to it, and he says, "Okay, listen to the top of this tune." Okay, let me fast forward. We get to the middle of the tune. He says, "What did you notice?" And I was just like, well, no, I mean, it sounds cool. We said, listen to the tempo. Man, the tempo had started dragging oh. so much, and I wasn't even aware of it. And he told me, he said, listen, he says, if you're going to do anything for me, it's better to rush than to drag. I don't want to feel like I'm playing a tune, and by the middle of my solo, it feels like we're playing. Yeah, it's like, you know, pulling a, a dead horse or whatever. Right. Just like, you know, and I was mm. just, I had, I wasn't even aware that I was dragging like that, mm. you know. So it gave me a, di uh, you know, a different awareness of, of time. And from that point on, I definitely started being more cognizant of, of where I was putting the beat. And, you know, and I, and it's not something that it was just like he made mention of it and, I, I got it right away. Sure. It was, you know, you it was something that I had to, yeah. And um, 
So the first gig was that. And, I, you know, I still hear his voice telling me about that. It's amazing this many years later that, you know, you you hear things like that, that you've learned from, from people that you respect, you know. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I still, you know, I still battle with myself trying to keep the time a certain way and not rushing or, you know, like yeah. I, I'm, 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 I'm aware of that, you know, and, you know, I'll listen to certain recordings and I'll listen to, oh, the, the, how was Tony Williams' time right there? And, you know, like, so I'm, I'm aware of that. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's, it was important. So that was a, it was a very, you know, it was a great learning lesson. It was hard, a little hard, sure, but you know, yeah. But it was a, a great learning lesson um, for me, you know. Do you practice with a metronome? <laughs> and it's funny you say that. I, I was practicing today with a metronome. Um, when I was younger, I've all, I had always played with records. I, I enjoyed playing with people. Yeah. More so than than uh, just the, the click. The box. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you know. I would say 80% of my time developing as a, as a drummer was spent playing with recordings, recordings, you know? So at the time when I came up, you know, we had cassette players at that, at that time. So I would have a 90 minute cassette, you know, so 45 on each side. And so medium tempos would be on one side, then fast tempos would be on one other side. And then maybe I have another cassette with slow. And so I know that I, that I had 45 minutes of playing medium time or 45 minutes of playing, you know, uh, fast time. So, mm. and, and, you know, I felt like whatever happened, I was with the bass player, whether it was dragging or right. rushing or whatever, I, I was with the bass player. Um, but it wasn't until later, like, let's say the last 15, 20 years, I felt like, you know, I, I saw the downside of me not necessarily playing with, uh, practicing with a click. Mm. Um, and I I, I I say downside, but not like, like I, you know, hate myself for not doing it. But I see that uh, some of the younger players, when I hear them solo, when I hear them play, it's, uh, I can tell that they've really... Like more so than playing with real people because they they don't get a chance they sure. don't get a chance to play yeah. with real people so they you know you can hear that 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 kind of really stagnant there or that real precise, precise thing yeah. so you know so I'm 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 um, I'm still developing that you know and today I was yeah practicing uh, an exercise where you know the, instead of the metronome being right on one or three or whatever like that the metronome was on the the last partial of the triplet and just trying to keep that right yeah and uh you know it's i i definitely see how that would they call it micro time so i i see how that would or that is going to you know impact my playing in a positive way down the line you know um but you know being this last couple of years man at Breckers, I haven't had a much time to practice because I've had so much schoolwork. Yeah, they give they give the students a lot of work. I feel probably because I don't know, maybe they need it. But then at the same time, you know, universities are charging a lot of money too. So the, it, you know, it's yeah. a it's a machine. You know, so 
Um, and I signed on to be in that machine and, and <laughs> I had a lot of work, yeah. you know, so I didn't get a chance to, to, to practice like I thought I was going to be able to do, you know, um, on the drum set. Yeah. But I, I still put in, I still put in time, you know. What, um, do you think there's a danger in too much practice with the metronome? Like for your students, do you caution, do you caution them on that or direct guide them to do stuff? with and without the metronome yeah i think i think it's you know you have to know why you're practicing what is the goal of you practicing with the metronome like a lot of students feel like it's like oh i just practice for so it keeps me honest or uh it tells me where the one is no i mean like you for me you know it's a, it's a visual also it's like you know you have to be able to see time as a as a as a unit mm -hmm. you know uh, not just this this line so um the downside of practicing so much with a metronome is that you know if the time moves because we are human time i think most of the thing that 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 we listen to that feels good is not precisely yeah. on the beat you know it moves more and, organic and that's it that's the that's the thing that makes it like we breathe we don't even breathe you know, there's nothing that we do as humans that that's in precise time. So, you know, yeah. why should music necessarily be in, in precise time? Even when I when I produce, I do quite a bit, a lot of uh, work on um, with Logic mm -hmm. and, and doing tracks and, and, you know, doing some TV commercials or I've done some some commercials for some fashion houses and things like that. But, you know, even that, you know, I, I try to make it move to mm. you know that it's not necessarily right Locked particularly in. on the grid you know yeah. it has to have some some organic ability uh, uh, um, you know uh, feeling feeling to it i feel you know yeah and so yeah definitely you know learning uh, trying to teach the students how to to practice with the metronome but the metronome being like something that that you incorporate into your playing you know because i think it's so easy to to lean <laughs> on the metronome right yeah it's there and so we start you know so we're not practicing like it's not the metronome is not that or that beat is not becoming a part of us sure you know yeah and so um that's why that exercise a few times today, when I was practicing with it on the part, the third partial of the of the triplet, a few times I lost it, but it, I lost it in a good way. It disappeared, so that meant that I was right on. I was right yeah. in that pocket, right in that space. But you know, other, the the other stuff that I was playing against that was not metronomically correct. But where I was feeling time was, you know, yeah in that place and I was, I was very happy when I when I realized that because I was like wait wait where's the metronome <laughs> and I was like oh it, it was there but you know yeah so that's yeah. cool you know yeah I think I definitely think it's it's important you know to you know but it's I think it comes down to like I said knowing why and and mm -hmm. and how to use the metronome yeah to assist you you talked about pocket and pocket and groove are those two of those terms that are, I mean, it's, it's hard to explain to a non-musician, but we, I mean, we kind of know what it means 
and we mm. it's a i for me it's a feeling more than a i don't know how you define it necessarily but um i was curious like as a non-drummer because i'm my instrument is saxophone like what advice would you give to someone who doesn't play the drums to work on playing playing in the groove or playing in the pocket what advice would i give them to to work on to playing in the, the pocket work on playing in the group like a non a non-drummer <laughs> <laughs> um why well, probably it's something that i've noticed with with instrumentalists saxists and trumpet and people that don't play drums is that a lot of times they play on top of the time they don't necessarily feel the time mm. you know it's like they're skating on top of the time so i feel like they never ground it mm. you know i did it i did a a master class last week for a guy named chad lefkowitz and oh, it yeah. was it was dealing with that of of how saxophonists or horn players in particular don't they're not grounded when they're playing right so meaning that when they're playing their exercises, these scales and whatever they're going through, okay, yeah, sometimes they, they tap their feet on one and three or or maybe one, two, three, four, or sometimes maybe just on a quarter note. But if you start to tap your foot on different partials of, of, of the beat, the yeah. second triplet, the third triplet, the second uh, note of a quintuplet or the third note of a quintuplet, like you start to really ground yourself Mm. in those against everything else you're playing because i think you know when i I, i've watched saxophonists or let's say horn players Mm -hmm. play and when i watch their feet it's never really in time like when they're playing all this bad stuff their foot is just like kind of fluffing around (laughs) or whatever you know it's like or or they're they're trying to play one or what you know so i feel like i feel like the grounding of the time is is not there Mm. you know that 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 grounding of time so um, definitely, you know, shedding, you know, if you're getting back to, to the metronome, shedding with the metronome and being able to tap your foot, like you, you know, like one, three, one, two, three, four, or, or a whole notes, like that's a given. So we're getting completely away from that. So everything you're tapping on your foot is a partial up of, of whatever subdivision that right. you're playing or, or, you know, so being able to ground yourself in that. And then also being able to listen to a piece of music, say if you're listening to, I don't know, you could be listening to James Brown or you could be listening to Elvin Jones uh, play uh, Night Has a Thousand Eyes. Mm-hmm. You know, all right. And the, what's great now is being able, we can loop it with, you know, amazing slowdown or a transcribe or whatever, but like loop a section and be able to visualize w- the middle of that that beat. Mm. If Elvin is playing Ting Ka, it's like where's the where's the center of that you know Mm. it's not like a lot of guys like when you ask them to do that they'll be like okay that's the one i'm not asking you for the one where's the center of that groove they're like okay you know what i'm saying it's like almost like you're playing double dutch it's like how do you jump in the middle Mm. you want to be able to and that's what you need to to visualize yeah that's that's where the pocket is. If you watch, if you listen to James Brown, like it's not important for me. It's not hearing the one where that one is mm-hmm. or the four. It's like 
how do you jump in the middle? How do you, where do you see yourself playing in the middle of that beat? Right. And that's where the pocket is. That's the way I look at it. Nice. It's hard to, you know, it's like you, like you say, it's hard to, to, you know, uh, describe that to somebody and say, all right, what's pocket, <laughs> you know, but you know, that pocket, you know, is the thing that makes you move. You don't move because it's, you're right on the one. Yeah. You, you, where you want, what makes you want to dance is being in, in the middle of that beat, hopefully, you know? Right. That makes sense. That totally makes <laughs> it's sense. It's hard, man. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you about, you know, you got the gig with Betty Carter and that was, you know, you've been playing with Ellis and then you, you went with Betty. That was like the net progression, right? Yes, that was, yeah, and it was a progression. And you, the story I heard is you were, you got to New York and she was like, where are you? Why aren't you over here with our rehearsal? Exactly. So uh, yeah. what was that, what was that rehearsal like when you got there? Um, well, the, <laughs> I remember, I mean, I walked at Betty had a brownstone. So I remember walking in and then the rehearsal room was upstairs. So, you know, you go up these circular stairs and then I get there and Cyrus Chestnut was on piano mm -hmm. and Ari Roland uh, was on bass and he was there. I knew Cyrus, but like we weren't like buddies but I, I knew I, 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 know, I had known Cyrus because I'd seen him play with uh, different people at one step down Cyrus is from the you know he's from Maryland Baltimore mm -hmm. so I'd seen him play there but Ari I didn't know so I walk in I see Ari he's like yeah nice to meet you whatever and Betty like Betty hadn't re hadn't heard me play I mean mm -hmm. Louis Nash had recommended right. me for her so um, so she's like the drums there. I set my stuff up and we start playing and I see her right away. She, you know, she starts smiling. So I was like, Oh, that's a good sign. Yeah. You know? Um, so she just started calling tunes. Like we started working like on, on repertoire right away. Mm. It was, you know, I did have a honeymoon period of about two weeks, I guess, <laughs> where it's like, you know, Everything that I played, she approved of. Mm -hmm. and then after that, after that two weeks, then everything I played, she didn't approve of. So <laughs> it was, you know, it was it was very, it was a very hard um, experience because I had never experienced something like that. Like Ellis was critical, but he wasn't critical like Betty was. Betty was like super critical, mm. and Betty would super let you know <laughs> if she if you played something she didn't like, you know, like in a heartbeat, you know. Right. So. Um, but the first rehearsal, man, we were swinging, nice. we were swinging. And I do remember at that rehearsal, like, I think we rehearsed two or three days and then we went on the road for three weeks to the West coast. And then we came back home for about two or three days. And then we went to Europe for six weeks of one nighters. Um, but I, I remember we were playing something and I told Cyrus, I don't think that's the right change for that at that point i think it's this whatever it was and betty looked at me you know looked on the side and she was like you can play piano and i was like well i mean i play a little you know i play a little bit but i can i can hear changes or whatever and she looked at me she kind of and i didn't know that that was like a i probably shouldn't have done, done that because like the drummers in her band before lewis nash probably plays piano i'm not sure but mm -hmm. 
she didn't have that many drummers that were harmonically or melodically like mm-hmm. in tune with that that part. You know, drummers before were playing. You know, yeah. like Greg Hutchison, like my my little brother. He didn't play piano. He didn't know any of of the any notes on on that. So he wasn't coming from that. Mm-hmm. And he is who I replaced when I came in the band. Mm-hmm. So when I did that, so Betty was like kind of taken aback from that. And so then she, you know, she kind of, you know, I think she kind of formed her own ideas about me, you know, mm. uh, you know, so she, like, I, you know, she felt that I was educated. I didn't feel like I was educated, <laughs> but she felt like I was educated. And, and I, you know, there's nothing wrong with being educated, but she, you know, she definitely felt like she was going to make it. It was her, her job to get me to, to, to get away from the education and play, you yeah. know, you know be more raw play with my heart i don't know you know yeah. just that you know betty she was she was um she was big on consistency too and you know that's something going back to that thing that when we talked about with ellis like these older people say stuff and and it never leaves you right like you know yeah. for 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 <laughs> good or or right. bad you know um but yeah, she, you know, she she had told me a couple of times, she was like, you're not consistent. You have to be consistent. Hmm. And uh, so I, I, you know, I dealt, I fought with that as a younger musician and I still fight with that. I still, you know, I'll listen to myself and I'm like, okay, I hear that inconsistency or any, you know, somebody else wouldn't hear it, hmm. but I'm probably super uh, sensitive it, yeah. to that because Betty, Betty, you know, put that on me when I was, when I was young. Mm-hmm. So, um so, you know, you have to use all of that. You have to use all of that that stuff going forward as a teacher also, right? Yeah. Like I know that there's a possibility of something that I may say that may help a student or hurt a student. So, listen to just how subtle Clarence can be in this cut behind Kate McGarry on her song You Don't Have to Cry. I imagine that was just such a blessing to work with a vocalist. It is. It is. I was just talking to Marvin Sewell. I don't know if you know him. Mm-hmm. He's a um, he's one of the guitarists that played with uh, Cassandra Wilson, okay. and and the uh, you know he played with her for about I don't know, a dozen years or so. Um, he's from he's I think he may be from Tennessee. Um, just, just, you know, sounds and all of that kind of stuff is just, you know, amazing. But I was just talking to him. I, I do love playing with vocalists because I love 
And Ellis got me into lyrics too because I hadn't before I played with him. I didn't check out the lyrics, you know. I was just play a standard. You play a standard. That's it, you know. But Ellis was always saying, "Man, these cats need to learn the lyrics because if you listen to a saxophone player play a certain melody, he could tell if the guy knew the lyric or not," mm, you know. Yeah. And uh, I thought that was deep when he said that. I was like, because I had never checked it out. I was like, "What are you talking about?" I mean, you know, he playing the melody the melody you know but it was like the lyric mm. you know so you have to be able to sing with your horn sing the phrase or the lyric or whatever to to you know for the listener and so he was really big on that so um i i've always you know enjoyed playing with with singers because being classically influenced i was able to bring that to the table and not have it be looked on as as corny or, or something like that betty loved the fact that i was into colors and she used to always say you know more color bring you know whatever color you can bring to the stage you know i'm down with you know it was that that kind of thing so nice. you know i was you know mallets i was hands i was i mean just color you know yeah. I could, if i would if i had timpani i would have timpani there it was just that you know yeah. So um, I really I do enjoy playing with with vocalists, um, but I mean a, a side note I love playing with vocalists when the respect yeah is there all the way around yeah. because you know we know that some vocalists can be divas and, yeah yeah <laughs> but I I think you know that that some of that comes from insecurity yeah you know also. Um, but you can't let that insecurity ruin the band or ruin the, the, sure. the vibe of, of the band. Yeah. And some, some vocalists do let that get in the way, you know, but, um, but go. yeah, man, I definitely, you know, I, I, playing with Brecker, um, I remember he told me one time, um, that he thought that the voice was the, the most powerful instrument, mm. you know, and, and I thought he was going to say saxophone <laughs> because, you know, Brecker played the, the heck out of, right. out of the saxophone. But um, he was just saying how even if it's a beautiful sound or not, just to, the voice connects with that listener immediately. Yeah. It evokes a feeling, something in the listener right away, mm -hmm. you know. Different than sax or trumpet or, or whatever, but the voice—it's it, just like that direct line mm. to that person's, you know, soul. Yeah. I remember he was saying he was a—he uh, was playing a concert, uh, you know, thousands and thousands of people, and I, I figure he was—he was somewhere. I don't know if it was Brazil or it was, no, I think it was America because, um, so he played his solo. Everybody's like, "Ah, oh, it's great!" This and that, and then. Right after them, um, Dylan came on and played. And he says, Dylan, with the, the way he sounds, with this, like, eh. it wasn't like beautiful. It wasn't like, you know, but it was that. And as mm. soon as he did that, he said he couldn't hear anything. The audience just completely erupted. And it was just like, yeah, it was that. And he was just like, the voice, whether it's good or bad, whatever, it's such a powerful instrument. Yeah. You know, um, incidentally, I I learned this from Alan Dawson, too, but like singing while you're playing. So now, I, I you know, I have my students, you know, even even if they don't sing, you have to count, 
you have to hear your voice as you're playing. Mm -hmm. It's so easy to play drums and keep everything internal. You know, you keep the stress, you keep the, it's just, you know, as opposed yeah. to, you should be able to have a conversation and play all this complicated stuff, be able to count and play all this com complicated stuff. Because once you, you hear your voice loudly in the room, it does influence how you place the beat and, and, and your touch, mm -hmm. right? Because it should be like an ensemble, right? Your voice plus your instrument, you play sax, it can't be that. So it has to be you're playing your saxophone and your foot tapping loud enough that that becomes the voice together. It can't just be one mm -hmm. voice without the other. Right. It has to be an ensemble. And once that happens, then you, then the package is there. Then it's that, you know? So, um, yeah. yeah, the voice is, is super needed and powerful and yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's it so yeah i mean i love playing with i love playing with singers man yeah i would have loved to work with um joni or i love peter gabriel mm, yeah um when rosa passos came to town i was like first one in line and, and to, to go see her you know rosa passos the Brazilian singer from I'm not familiar uh, with her. Man, she is amazing. Yeah, you know, she's about eighty or so now, perhaps, but she plays guitar and sings these bossa novas. Wow. Absolutely beautiful. Yeah. Cool. You know, or so you listen to you know, you listen to Joe Beam. He didn't have the most beautiful voice, but like when you listen it touches you. It resonates. Yeah. it touches you, right? You yeah. know? It's it's there's something. Yeah. You know. And the stuff you've done with Luciana also just yeah, so uh, you know, it's just I, mean, I could play with her forever. Kate McGarry. <laughs> yeah, that's what, I, mean, I that's why we're you know. Yeah, Kate's play, great. You know, later, you know, I play with people that I that I enjoy playing with, and and you know, Kate, you know, her voice is like an angel. It's, I just, <laughs> it's pure. It's yeah. She's not trying to be anything, but what she is which is kate you know what yeah. i mean like she's very authentic you know, very you know it is it's so you know whenever she called me i was really into playing and you know a few times i would just not want to play and just <laughs> listen the, to her just be just you know yeah you know just that subtle vibrato you know i'm into vibratos Mm. Not if it's too fast. Yeah, you know, yeah. Just, 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 you know. Yeah, yes, but just beautiful. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Mm. So uh, you brought up Michael Brecker, and I just want to ask about that a little bit. So you, you toured with him, but you weren't on those records, right? Yep, that is a, a one of the weird anomalies. <laughs> I played with him about ten years, actually. Right. And did you about ten years on the road um, only? On the on the road only, yeah. Um, a lot of his records, like you know, he he, we, we talked about that, but he did say he laughed too. He said, "I like winning Grammys <laughs> <laughs> because Grammys, Grammys, right? Grammys keep you working, right? right? Because, like you know, there's for me there's controversy uh, with 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 the Grammys, yeah. Because I was a voting member at one time, and I don't want to get into that. Sure. So the, Grammys didn't necessarily is not the end all sure. right. So but he said I like winning Grammys. That keeps us working. Um for me to win Grammys, they like 
the bands, Herbie, you know, right. Jack DeJunette, Dave Holland. Yeah. Anytime he had those things, then it kind of guaranteed because the voting members, the members, they say, oh, they Herbie, s- I know these names. Right, so they recognize all those people. Right, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and rightfully so. They, they should win every grant. You know, they're just... <laughs> um, so... You know, so I, I didn't do, so I knew I wasn't going to compete with Jack DeJunette. Um I think Antonio had played in one and then Tane had played mm-hmm. in, in Bill Stewart. But um, I even, I mean, one time I asked Breck, I was like, man, you play with all of these great guys. Like, why do you have me in, in the band? Because Jeff Watts is my hero. Right. And, you know, Bill Stewart is just like, Bill Stewart plays the, 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 you yeah. know, the crap out of the drums too. And. And and he said, man, I you're in my band because I like playing. This is what I want when I'm when we're playing, you know. So you know, I want you and the way you play on the road with us in that in that situation. So you know, yeah. So I just took it as that, and and it was fun, man. It was one of my favorite bands to play in. You know, um, I learned a lot as far as pacing myself too, because Brecker would. Um, you know, he had a lot of energy, mm. and so you you would need to be able to. I remember when I first got in the band, I came in right after Idris Muhammad in, in 2000, um, and yeah, you know, I had been playing a while, but like, you know, with Brecker, it's like a marathon. Like, you know, you felt like I would I would leave the stage, my heart would be, you know, I'd be wet from sweat, and and I'd be breathing hard, you know, because right. it's just like, you know, it was like. You know, he loves train, so it was just like burnout. It was yeah. just like going for it. even the ballots would like get yeah, to yeah. This, this place of, um, and and so I had to really learn. I remember he he said one time he's like, even if we're at, you know, we could be at at, at, at gear four or five, but in the audience think that we're at the top, but like you know, you should be, you should have four or five more gears in place that we can go to, to, you know, if we need it. So, you know, it's just a, a illusion of being in top gear, but man, he had more. He, he had a go, lot of headroom. You know? He had a lot of head, Exactly. So, you know, um, so I had, to, I had to learn about that. It was just like, I had to, I had to pace myself. Right. And I, I remember being with Brecker and, and, and really thinking about, okay, it's first course, second course, third, like ramping it up. Like I know, when it came, you know, each course that I had to build up in that, you know, mm-hmm. and I, 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 I think that was kind of a, a nice, nice thing that I took away from playing with Brecker because I still use that now, you mm-hmm. know, um, being able to play and and you have the audience think that you're at you're in top gear and you're, right. you're not. You're like to you top haven't gear. got there yet. In sol- yeah, exactly. In solos, they, they I think solos uh, appreciate that. Uh, it's you know the people that you play with. Um, like you giving them that feeling of it building every course, yeah. like you giving them more. It's like, oh, you know, and you know, I'm constantly you're throwing rhythms at them, and you're just really, you know, you keep you pushing, pushing them. You mm-hmm. don't squashing them, you pushing them. You just keep pushing them to that, you know. Right. And so that's kind of like where I am with that. When was that long? No, no. Was long <laughs> in that was that Joey? Was Joey Calderazzo in that? Joey did play at some point, but the first band was Adam. The main band, when I joined the band, it was right after that. It was an organ record he did. So Larry Golding's Larry Golding's, yeah. Organ, and Adam Rogers. Right. And that, you yeah. know. And Brecker, I mean, 
far as I know, and, and we all talked about it after every gig, that tour, I remember we did, uh, we did, it was a, there was a, a venue in Minnesota that we played. Um, oh, the jazz club there? It was like a, yeah, it was a jazz club. It was like a, but it's, I think it was an old, like, it wasn't the, the Dakota. It was wasn't something the Dakota, else. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I don't think it was the, but like, you know, but Breck, we, we had such a, like, it was a, we sounded like a band, like, like right away. It was great, man. And Brecker, you know, I think he liked the fact that I was kind of, yeah, I was into Elvin, not kind of. I was definitely <laughs> into Elvin and Philly and, you know, mm-hmm. uh, Jeff Watts, too. So, you know, he liked that energy. Yeah. He he definitely felt like he wanted to have the drums have a certain type of energy behind him. You right. Know, at least live, you know. Were you... Did, yeah. Were you... In bands like that, I'm imagining the roles shift frequently. Like you're not just the timekeeper, like, and and that you can it can you can pass that role around in the rhythm section. Especially when you play with strong players like that. I mean, Adam Rogers. I mean, you know, I don't know. Up until that point, he and Schofield had been the strongest guitar players that I had ever played with. In like, and I mean, like this their time was so solid and they could play with any drummer and like not get lost. It wasn't like, you know, you had to take it easy, you know? (laughs) So, um, yeah, Adam's time was amazing and Larry Golding's time was amazing. So it was a a point of, uh, that we could pass it along, you know? And it was, it was great that we could do that. And for me, it just really took some of the, I don't know, confines of, of, of me having to play one, it would yeah. give the band a one or, you know, this is where, you know, I could be creative, man. I could, you know, yeah, I could bring whatever I needed to. It really did. And, um, yeah, man, it was, it was, it was fun, man. It was, um, you know, I did a, it's a side, side note. I did a gig with, uh, McBride a couple, like last, last December, not this COVID, yeah, December, but the one before. Yeah. So um, we were in St. Louis um, at the Bistro, and uh, I was subbing for in his new Jean band that was normally with Nasheed uh, Waits and mm-hmm. uh, Josh Evans and uh, Marcus Strickland. And I just remember, man, that guy, his time is so solid and big that it really... I could do anything. Like I didn't have to, I don't have to keep a quarter note pulse. I don't have to keep the time because he's there doing that. And it was so much fun for me to just to be able to kind of like dance around yeah. on the beat. You I know, bet. it's, it's a, it was pretty amazing. You know? <laughs> and here's Clarence playing with Christian Sands on Sangueo Soul.
you've played with like so many great, like Maria Schneider, another phenomenal. I mean, the really hard, really challenging music. Do you? What's your preparation for a gig like that with like with Maria? Does it differ much? Um, I think with Maria, the way I approached the band, um, and just luckily it worked out. Um, I heard her music, and immediately I wanted to be inside the music. I didn't want to approach her music from a big band drummer standpoint. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, it basically she had a big band and I think, uh, you know, drummers that had played with her had played great, but they all approached it from a big band sure. standpoint. Whereas I approached it as probably more orchestral and, and she writes so beautifully. I wanted to, as a listener, I wanted to hear those harmonies and what the flutes were doing oh, that. So I wanted to get out of the way of that too. So I wasn't, I didn't approach it as, as coming in and like, this is where the time is. I felt like at that point in everybody's career, they know where the time, they knew where the time was. They don't need me to <laughs> be hashing out the time. And I do remember one of the, uh, uh, I, I think it was George, the trombone player, one of those guys said, man, the first time you were playing with us and you stopped playing time, I almost lost it because I was just like, I was so used to the drummer, like playing, you know, telling me where to go. And, and for me, you know, as you, if you see me play with Maria, it was like, you know, we'd be playing and I, I'm drama, right? Yeah. It's, it's, it's theaters acting. Mm. It's, it's the whole thing. So, you know, at certain points I may just lay out. And, or, you know, I'm not going to play what you think that I'm going to play. But when, when I do that, you still have to be grounded enough in time to know that, okay, you know, <laughs> that, okay, that was a, that was a, that was a, that was the last 16th or that was the last triplet or that was, yeah. you know, not like, oh, wait, that's the new one. No, you know what I'm saying? So um, nice. when I did that, he, he said he, it took him a while. It took him a minute to, to get that. But he said to himself, he's like, okay. I see I'm going to have to start counting. That's what he told himself. <laughs> He's like, I'm going to have to start counting. You know? yeah. And I was just like, you know, yeah, you do have to start counting. It shouldn't just be about me, right? right. I shouldn't be It's not just the your responsibility. Time. Right. right. You yeah. know? So, um, but definitely with, with Maria, um, you know, I did a lot of, I did a lot of homework in that being a drummer, um, not everybody can write for big band or drums, yeah. right? Period. It's a kind of a <laughs> a, a lost art. No, it's but, hard. Um, it's it's hard, right? If you're not a um, drummer, writing for drums. If, is exactly, hard. right? Knowing how much to write and and, and how much to leave out. Um, so I thought I, my my prep for Maria's band would be. You know, once we were listening to, or once we playing, once we've played through something in rehearsal, I'm already making notes as we're listening of parts that she didn't write down that I heard somebody else do that I'd like to be aware of. So I'm marking that in a part, or she's written a part 
but I don't need to play it. It's there more of a, as a cue. Mm-hmm. So with, with Maria's, it was always that balance of what not to play and what to play, you know. Um, and sometimes in her parts, she would write just cue only, you know, play use as a guide. Yeah. You know, not a cue, so you see with the trumpet players, but like, you know, just use as a use as a guide to see what's what's going sure. on. Sure. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah. So um yeah, it was that's basically kind of how I, I approached her mm. her thing, her 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 band, you know. And definitely, you know, I think I got a chance to use my classical influences in her, her situation in her band no a lot, you know. Yeah. I think you know, me playing in her band, I did bring to the, the the forefront that I can you can play hands, play with your hands in a big band and and have the band come down to the level. Like I really I think I, I, I really helped Maria expand her dynamic range. She always had written in dynamic range, but if the drummer doesn't do right. it, right, then yeah. You know, it gets lost. Yeah. So I, I think I helped bring that to the forefront. Awesome. Mm. <laughs> I wanted to ask you about, there have been a couple of instances where you've gotten a last minute call. I think Gonzalo Rubicola was one where it's like, mm. you've got like hours to prepare. How, what do you, how do you do that? <laughs> Once I get over the anger part. <laughs> um, and what was it like at the gig? It's, like, it's, it's hard. Yeah. Um, so with Gonzalo, the gig was recorded, right? It's, so it's actually my first gig in that, that, that you know, we... They man, recorded we got, it. They recorded it. It was in Spain. And, you know, we had about 15 minutes right before as a sound check going in um and you just you you have to figure out what like devices that you have to get to the music you know like immediately so you know um the thing with gonzalo's with that band that I played in, like, no, they didn't send, like, I kept asking for the music, nobody, they didn't send the music, you know, he was doing whatever, and I'm like, man, come on, come on, come on, and I get, so, because, and I I wanted the music because Gonzalo's music is so difficult, I don't know if you've ever ever experienced this, but if you don't know where one is, Mm -hmm. you start to hear it on the other side, and you learn it the other side, then you see the music, and you're like, wait, that's actually beat three or whatever, it's hard to get back and relearn it that way. Sure. So um, a few of the tunes I learned on the other side, but that's just the way that I heard it, you know, and I was like, you know, it's probably more difficult, mm. but I was, I had, you know, it's just the way that I learned it. So, um, you know, I made sure I went through and, and, and I did a lot of math with his thing. Like, okay, that's a seven B phrase. That's an eight bar phrase. That's a three bar phrase. That's a, you know, this is based off, you know, parts of the clave. So basically I brought, you know, I used every device that I had, you know, mm-hmm. um, available to me to apply to his music so I could learn it. So when I got to the bandstand and I knew that, you know, Gonzalo and I had played with Richard Galliano for years at that point. But Galliano's music is so much easier, right? <laughs> As he plays accordion, it's like, you know, um, 
but I knew I knew I didn't want to suck. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't want to fail. Um, so, you know, I put the I put the time in too, you know? So yeah, I definitely put a, a lot of listening time in there. But then at the same time, right, you want to be able to have your own voice also, right? right? You you know, you don't want to come in sounding like whoever played before you. You want to, you know, you want the leader to feel like you absorb the music yeah. and brought your thing to the table. So, it's you a know, balancing act, I mean, I definitely, sure. yeah, I definitely listened to, to his music a lot. Um, uh, I did a gig with Billy Childs. It was the same way, man. Like he called me, he had a, a situation Something happened to the drummer. I had to fly to California. And so he called me that whatever that night before, and I had to take more the flight in the morning. And it wasn't gonna be, it was just like another thing, 10 minute sound check, line check, and, and do the gig. And Billy Charles writes a heart a heart music, yeah. Um he sent that music that night, but he sent the music at like seven or nine that night, you know, yeah. and I had to, you know, and I wasn't gonna come down and try to practice drum, you know, it was like so you know, I have my, my, um, you know, I always have my highlighters. So I'm, I'm highlighting, you know, parts of the, of the, of the tunes that I want to play parts of that. I don't want to mm -hmm. play things like that. So it's like, you know, I definitely, it's like cram time, but like you cramming musically for me anyway, like I, I, I really, I always want to sound like I know the stuff, like I'm not reading mm -hmm. it, you know? So, you know, when I'm listening to people's music, some, you know, I use visual aids to whatever I see, you know, I put that on the music, if that makes yep. sense. You know yep. what I'm saying? Like, you know, like, I think it's, it could be intimidating if you approach music from a linear place of just trying to go in and be like, okay, this is what it is. You can't see the big picture, you know? Yeah. And a lot of times, you know, hopefully especially with those two, two composers there is a big picture there is a there's something that they're dealing with sure. compositionally or even if it's harmonically or melodically or whatever and and you know it's up to me because they're not going to necessarily tell you you know to go inside to you know to find out what that is right, right. you know beautiful it's yeah it's hard man <laughs> what have you been did you have any recordings last year? I know that you did something was released by Paul Jones, but th that was probably recorded prior to 2020. Yeah, that was prior to that. Um, what I'm working on now, it's finished and it should, I, I really you know, keep kicking myself. It should be, it should be out now. What I'm doing or what I did was a, like a, a drummer's record. It's not a drummer's <laughs> record. It's kind of. So I'm celebrating drummers that the general public don't wouldn't necessarily think of them as drummers. Mm. So when you think of Dave Roll from um, the uh, from, um, you know, Nirvana. Nirvana. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He was the drummer of Nirvana, but then he has his group, the Foo Fighters where he's the lead singer and he plays guitar, but he played drums on all of that kind of stuff. So I got a tune by Dave Grohl. I have a tune that I covered by Phil Collins, who was a singer, awesome. but played drums, right? And so I got him. Um, there's this tune by Stevie Wonder who played drums, 
right? So I got I covered Stevie Wonder, a tune by Stevie Wonder. I got a tune of Peter Gabriel who played drums, you yeah. know. Um, my God, you know. So it's basically it's it's all of those guys, but then I take uh, those songs and reimagine them. Song those songs as a coming from my perspective as a drummer. Mm. Yeah. You know, I didn't. They're not. I didn't really like dearrange them like I did the Monk Project, but I really took them into a different direction and every song on the record is actually singing has vocals on okay. it so i i yeah kurt elling is on mm. there i'm singing one kate's on there you know so there's singers on there and because we're doing the songs of those those guys that i told you about um and and so i know i i just had this idea to to kind of bring that together and so, but it's done, and I'm actually in in uh, the process of mixing it. But I'm trying to, you know, I'm into production, so I'm mixing, trying to mix it somewhat myself too. Yeah, I would have normally paid probably somebody to mix it, but then, in a perfect world, I would have been on tour and I would have had the money to sure. pay somebody to mix it. But since I haven't been on the road, yeah, and so, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm mixing it myself. So, um, you know. I got a tune by Prince. Prince played drums, mm. so you know it's a. Uh, so I think it's gonna that be. That sounds fun. I've I've always you know the, the people that have heard different tracks here and there, really like it and they like you know. Right. So it's not it's it doesn't sound it's not gonna sound like a, a drum record. Let me say I don't think there. There's no drum solos on the record, <laughs> because it's not about that. Yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's really singing, like you know I. Man, I love playing. Like I say, I love playing behind a singer. So I would love to take that project on the road and just play drums right. behind a singer right. doing that. You know, so that's that's where I'm coming from. So that's what I'm doing now. Um, I do have. Uh, I'm toying around with a a method book mm -hmm. for general. Musicianship, oh, awesome. not just from drums. Yeah, so, um, so like that—that's what I want to try to get to. Um, so I finish in May. Your degree? Um, yeah, I finished my degree in May. So hopefully, I can, you know, every, you know, like if I get a, a couple minutes here and there, I'll I'll jot down some ideas for that for the for the method book. So hopefully, I can I can concentrate and put more time in, on that yeah. during the summer. Um, yeah, so between that and then kind of looking for the job and getting this yeah. thing mixed and put out, that's kind of like where I am these days is, anyway. Is there a sense in New York that like in the fall there's going to be gigs again? I think there's a, there's a hope, you know, because yeah. a lot of musicians are lost with, with you know, the effects of, of COVID. Yeah. Um, but in my opinion, it's still going to be a while before yeah. gigs, you know, mm -hmm. start to kind of show up. Um, because unfortunately, you know, we lost a lot of clubs. You know, the standard yeah, is not here yeah. anymore. You know, um, so I mean, there's this, there's, yeah, it's 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 hard for a lot of them. Mm. You know, a lot of the clubs. So. Um, it's going to be a while before before it opens up, and and I, I say it's it's sad because 
some of the older musicians too, but you know, some musicians don't have or didn't have anything in place to keep them mentally, mm. uh, you know, yeah. uh, busy, yeah, engaged, or, you yeah. know, yeah, engaged, yeah, you know, so them not being able to tour and playing clubs was really devastating for them. You know, for me, I was lucky that I had, you know, I'm in school, but at the same time, you know, yeah. unfortunately for my wife and kids, I cook all the time. And, you know, I, you know, I'm, I made a cheesecake oh, the other day awesome. you know, from, from the Basque country. But like, you know, so, so I cook a lot, you know, um, even if I didn't have school, I, I have my, my record that I have to mix. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, as learning from, from mixing, I'm looking at videos, learning about EQ, learning about compression. So, yeah. I, you know, I have things that, to kind of keep me busy. Some some people don't have that. They just they just want right. to play. So, you know, that's the kind of sad part. But, um, yeah, it's going to be a while before. And then I was just talking to Vincent Herring the other day, uh, Friday, and he was just saying how the scene is is decentralized you know it's you know yep. back in the day when you and i were young i mean it was either new york or california right, la or no. new york yeah right so now it is not that right it didn't have to be yep. that you know and and so by it not being that then why being why be in new york when it's so expensive it's crazy yeah. Yeah. right it's just like you know it's like and I can't say it's only rich people here, but man, the the, um, the what they charge in, in rents and, and to buy stuff here is it's absolutely yeah. insane. Where you can just leave leave New York and and, and go to a place and, and immediately it's thirty percent cheaper to, to <laughs> right. live, you know. And you're like, wait a minute, I can have a whole house right. for what I was paying, yeah. you know, for an apartment in yeah. New York. And so you know, yeah. Yeah, so that's, you know, that's, that's where, yeah, that's where we're headed, I think, you know. Did you, um, did you ever play with Chick Corea? Did you ever meet or do any work with Chick Corea? I met Chick. We never played, but I met him several times because I played with um, Makoto mm-hmm. Ozone, the piano player, and he and Chick were super close. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, um, we shared festivals together in Japan, um, you know, dressing rooms, backstage, all that kind of stuff. But we had never gotten the chance to play together. Yeah. But um, yeah, yeah. What a a surprise in a way for that for him to yeah, it was you know, not be with be with us. Devastating. Right? I mean, this mm-hmm. whole last year, Alice was one of the first ones that was heartbreaking, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Lee Cohn. I mean, the list goes on. But just oh the, yeah, I mean the super the thing is that's that's. That said, it's like, you know, when we, you know, say if we, once we get over the, the hump of the, the COVID thing and we look back, man, it's going to be like a lot of people not here that we, yeah. you know, we're going to be like, hey, man, where's what you call it? And they're going to be like, yo, he, you know, we lost him yeah. during that time, yeah. you know, even, you know, like just uh, you, um, the other day, I don't know, maybe a couple of months, a week, a month ago, or something like that. The the guy who was booking the Kitano, he passed. I didn't know. I don't know if you know mm-hmm. that, but you know the Kitano Hotel. The um, so the Kitano Hotel in New mm-hmm. York was one of the. It was a jazz room that, you know, a lot of people played. And this guy, he was, you know, he booked it for years, and you know, he passed. Wow. So, 
I know they won't probably have jazz in that place After. again going forward. Yeah. You know, so, you know, coming out of this thing, it's going to be a lot. It's going to be a different landscape. Sure. It's going it's to be quite <laughs> different. Yeah. <laughs> um, what do you look? Maybe it'll force us to get a TikTok. <laughs> <account>. no. <Right>. no. <laughs> what are you, what's, where are you finding inspiration? Where do you get inspiration these days? Um, I mean, basically, because I have this record to, to get done, um, so I'm inspired and inspired to get that out, and and that's making me, you know, uh, I don't know, like have a quest for a certain knowledge, mm-hmm. right? So, so that's that's been very, very cool for me. Um, the inspiration for me hanging in there with school. Because it is difficult, yeah. um, and it's a lot of work. The inspiration comes from, like what we mentioned earlier, having my my kids. Like sure. I'm, I want them to be in a, a, you know, a place where they can go to a good university. Yeah. Right. So I want to get a gig at a at a good university. So you yeah. know, they will be hopefully be able to go to school there. So I use my my kids are my inspiration mm. um, along with my wife too. Um, you know, uh, I, as you see behind me, I have cookbooks everywhere. I'm, I'm always, I, I find inspiration from, from okay. there because it's creative. Yeah. It's creative. I really, like I said, I wasn't joking. I cook almost every single That's day. Awesome. I'm, yeah. You know, 90, maybe you should put out a cookbook plant. And you know, I, you know, that's why when I did a little video, you know, a lot of musicians are saying, oh, man, you should, you know, do something like that. Because the, in the musician culture, like, cooking is not necessarily, we practice all right. the time, but cooking is like, right. right? So, you know, like, I was I was thinking maybe I should put something out, like, like a, a the cliff notes of uh, uh, cooking, like, really, how to how to really get to, like, the the meat of a recipe with all of the, yeah the you know I've done all the research I know sure. yeah I've, I've you know and so I've I've thought about something like that too that needs to needs to be all right you know and and to be able to cook a good meal that that's not going to break break the bank yeah. right yeah it's an so, art for yeah. sure yeah 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 so yeah maybe I'll, <laughs> I'll check it check, check into that you what, know what are you listening to these days other than your project that you're working on or are you listening to anything outside of your own stuff right now and i don't even really get a chance to listen to that as much um before this happened i was probably listening to um bach Mm. like all the time there's a um, like two-part invention kind of stuff or the um the uh, uh, why am I having a blank? Um, thought if I can pull up my, my <laughs> list here, this, because the um, what was the um, is it um, Simone Dinnerstein? Do you hmm. know her? The, the classical uh, pianist. Man, she's uh, completely like. Yeah, Simone Dinnerstein. Like that's constantly on my my um, on my 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 
playlist. Sure. And she did a record, and it's, uh, let me see, it was all of the Bach. I kind of want to see, because he wrote so much music, yeah. man. Uh, no kidding. <laughs> right? <laughs> um, the Corrals, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I mean, like I had that. Well, maybe they took it off a title, but uh, yeah, I was just. I mean, I just basically kind of listened to that constantly, just just in the background, just the nice the Goldenberg variations. Yes. Yeah, that's yeah, what yeah. It was that's that I just just all the time. Period. <laughs> that's it was just, and I the reason why I like her take on it because um. What you call it did it also um the uh wonderkin piano player from way back in Gould, the day Glenn uh, Gould. Gould. Yeah. yeah so Gould played it but he like in my opinion like he blasted through it like it's so fast it's like he <laughs> it, it feels like for me it feels like he just approached it almost i don't want to say like an exercise he, you know because of course i mean he's amazing but there's so much beauty in it when Simone played it, she slowed it down. So it's really, it's a lot slower than you normally would hear the the, the, the variations. Mm. So you can hear all of the voices, the way they move and the way it, you know, it's like uneven and it's, it's, it's really beautiful. Mm. I, so I really love her, her take on it. So that's pr- in a way, um, it sounds odd, but that's probably like my favorite that's record awesome. from, it's weird, right? I know you probably thought I would be listening to. <laughs> no, I don't know. You, you know, know, what's surprising is how many people I talk to and they're not. A lot of professional musicians don't listen because they're too busy or they're just like, I don't want to listen. Like at the end, I just want silence. Like I don't want to. My wife, she gets on me all the time. She's like, I can't believe you don't listen to music. Like, you know, <laughs> have it. I love to listen. You know, I love it when you're playing music. Like she says, when she hears music and it's, you know, loud in the house or through some speakers, she's like, I know it's for a gig that you have coming up. It's never for like pleasure. Enjoy. Yeah. And that that's that's it. I mean, and tomorrow's thing I listen to when I'm in the car yeah. because I, you know, I just I'm like that in my zone. But yeah, I really yeah, I think when if I was at home and I listen to music, it kinda turns me on in that like in a way that I don't want to be yeah. like it makes me wanna work. Right. It makes me, oh, I should go practice or I should, oh, what was that? Let me right. you know, transcribe yep. that or like, yeah. you know, I, and I, you know, I don't want to. It's not so relaxing. Right? It's not. Like, you know, like I think about what I do like doing in my past and in, in, in when I do have time off. I like looking at uh, home renovation shows. <laughs> I do. It's just weird. So cooking and then home renovation uh, you shows. You and Daryl so Hall. Watching one. <laughs> Is it? Yeah. So I'm I'm always watching that. Um I'm thinking about the next house that when I when I this when we leave right. New York. Um but like, you know, some people have speakers in the in the ceiling like and I was like, Oh, that would be a great concept or you have like sonos and it's like everywhere. But like I, I don't know if I would want that because I don't know if I would wanna hear music <laughs> everywhere in the house. So you know what I'm saying? Like you know, Yeah, what I, mean? I know exactly like, what you mean. Kind of makes me, yeah. I don't know if I want to be in work right. mode, that kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. You know, so it's a hard question. No, no. <laughs> but check out that song. If, if you get a chance, please listen I, to that I, man. Absolutely, it's, honestly, it's just bad. How do you hope 
people describe you as a drummer like after you've had a gig or a show or like other musicians like what what do you hope they they say about you i don't know i hope that they would say that that i played in a supportive way um you know giving just the amount needed Mm -hmm. without giving too much um i want them to 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 say that I I did my homework as far as learning um, the music, mm-hmm. um, and uh, yeah, of course that that it that it felt you know he made it feels it felt great to have him in the band. Um, nice. I have played with some younger musicians, and I've gone to the rehearsal. And they made a comment like, shit, man, you know my music better than I do. Like, you know, like that kind of thing. And I'm like, you know, if you hire me for the gig, my job is if I take the gig, I'm going to know my part. You know, I I, I don't understand sometimes when young, you know, you hire, and I keep saying, I hate to say young (laughs) musician, but it is a younger thing, man. I've hired them and they're not prepared. Mm. They come into rehearsal and they're they're just looking at the music for the first time or the music's not internal. And you can tell when somebody's put the time in. So I want people, people, and I I think I do have that type of uh, uh, reputation that if they hire me, the music is the the last thing they're going to have to worry about. You know, if you hire me and I say, yes, I'm going to take the gig. Tell me where the <laughs> rehearsal is. And when we do the rehearsal, let's play right. it, you know? Yeah. That's awesome. So, yeah. <laughs> um, Luciana said, I love this quote about you. She said, Clarence understands music is play. And that's the heart of this podcast. It's called The Playful Musician. Mm-hmm. And um, I do get that out of your plan. I, there's a joy, a playfulness. And that's something I, it's hard to impart or teach, I think, to students. Do you have any ways you found to kind of bring that out of students? Well, I think you have to use, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a hard thing because everybody's so close and they feel like, like music has to be serious. It's like, and the music is serious, but like you have to be able to visualize yourself outside of that or, or be able to you know, um, you know, see the joy in, in something. Like I have my, my students when I'm, when I was teaching, uh, the ensembles, man, like, you know, try to play the, the most absurd, absurd shape or sound or, or vision or something like that. And they think it's stupid in the beginning, but then after the end, they're like, oh man, that's kind of fun. And like, you see them smile mm-hmm. and I'm like, you know, you're still playing this, the music is still serious. But like it's okay to to smile to <laughs> right. you know it's like it just yeah. and you notice when you can smile then it loosens up your body in a certain way mm. you know horn is place is harder but like <laughs> right. you know but like you know you loosen up in a way that you can start to like have fun with this ball and music is just like a a ball like you're bouncing up in the air and you you know and it should be that it shouldn't be like you're concentrating so much that you got it's more like you're just letting it happen yeah you know so yeah. um you know a lot of the guys that 
that that I that I enjoyed watching uh, growing up. Papa Joe Jones, uh, Baby Dodds, all of, uh, they, they even Gene Krupa, but like they 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 understood. Well, part of it was for the entertainment mm-hmm. sake because that's what was going on. But then there is a part that was genuinely something that they enjoyed yeah. doing. Yeah. Right. So, you know, um, I remember hearing an older person say to me, I'm glad to see, I was happy to see you smile while you were playing because I hate going to concerts and seeing the musicians so serious and look like they're sad or they're mad or they're like vibing. You know? Yeah. And I'm not going out there just to smile. It happens naturally because I, right. you know, and I notice sometimes by me being this way that I can make the band leader loosen up. Like I did a, re- I did a record release um, last year at Smalls and the band leader was tense, man. Mm. You know, I didn't know. I, I thought he had, you know, like he wasn't necessarily on the scene, but I figured, you know, he's been doing it like I've been doing sure. it, whatever. And I was like, man, this cat is like, you know, he's <laughs> tight, you know, it's like, you know, and, yeah. and I'm playing and then I'm like, you know, making whatever I'm doing. It. And, and, I, and he looks up and then he smiles and I was just like, and nice. as soon as he did that, like the music seemed to like just kind of open up a little bit. He was just like, OK, look, I can have fun. Clarence is like joking <laughs> over and playing stuff on the on the drums. And oh, so now I can like. Yeah, you know, it's a conversation. Yeah. It's like you know, and so yeah, nice. I you know, you you, it's not that serious, <laughs> you know. Right. <laughs> uh, that's a good place to wrap up. I think where where can people find out more about you? Where is a good place for them to connect with you? TikTok. I'm just <laughs> um, <laughs> um, you know, um, probably, you know. Unfortunately or fortunately, it depends on how you look at it. I, I still do put stuff on Facebook. Mm-hmm. I am active on Instagram mm-hmm. and uh, and LinkedIn. So is it just um, at, at Clarence Pam. Yeah. Um, so un- uh, Instagram is uh, Clarence under underscore mm-hmm. pen at Clarence underscore pen. Facebook is it's Clarence Pen or the uh, Pen Station as as the band. Um, and I do have a website. Um, and I'm on the fence as far as like, do you keep it updated or do you not? Because at one time I was keeping it updated, but everybody would contact me through Facebook. Right. Like people would not even, you know, so I was like, oh, do I get rid of it? But then somebody said recently, don't get rid of it. So, <laughs> you know, but, um, yeah. you know, through, through any of the social media outlets, sure. you know, anybody can, you know, if you need to reach me email wise, definitely just go through the website and 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 uh write me that way cool. and generally as soon as i see the emails i i respond i am a good responder yeah. and some people aren't um yeah. <laughs> i try my best i don't want to leave anybody's hanging leave leave anybody sure. hanging yeah but thank you man oh. for having me do this thing thank fun. you clarence yeah. I, yeah some great questions oh, thank you i really appreciate it i you know Everyone's time is valuable. I, I'm really grateful you chose to spend some time with me and my audience. Uh, really appreciate it. Definitely. You're welcome. Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for listening. I really enjoyed this conversation with Clarence, and I, I hope you did too. It was, a, it was a lot of fun. 
Head on over to the website, theplayfulmusician.com. You can see the show notes from today's show and all past shows. There's also links to everyone mentioned in the podcast and links to recordings and all kinds of good stuff. Theplayfulmusician.com. You can also find all the past episodes there and show notes to all those shows. We've got some great guests coming up in the next few weeks, so stay tuned. Thanks again, and we'll see you real soon.